Welcome to this episode of All About Dharma program. As you may know, this is a sister program to the Know Your Dharma initiated by the Hindu Society of North Carolina. My name is Subhash Mittal and I'm a yoga instructor in this area. I teach yoga in the Morrisville area. And I'd like to today talk about the concept of stress and how yoga may be helpful in mitigating stress or uh, helping us manage stress. First of all, we need to understand what stress is and what causes stress. And then, of course, then we can try and see how we can deal with stress. For the most part, stress is something that that refers to a situation or, or a person or an event that we find we are unable to handle effectively. Uh, sometimes, you know, when, when you are given too much work at work, or you have some very impossible, in your opinion, the impossible deadlines, etc., which cause stress. We can be stressed out because of some situations in the family, you know, lots of different situations which we experience and we label them as stressful. And of course, then, once we are stressed out, you know, we, we also have physical manifestations of stress. Uh, stress can be felt in your neck as neck pain or shoulder pain or, or low back pain, hip pain, etc. But one thing we need to understand is that stress is something that is happening in the mind first. Only then it has other manifestations in the physical form, etc. I mean, there are even just more than just pain. There are other situations where uh, if you're in, in a deep state of stress, people get even things like diarrhea and, and uh, some, some people get vomiting. And then, of course, modern uh, research has told us now that many of the, even the serious ailments, even blood pressure and, and, uh, and cancer and many other uh, ailments, diabetes, etc., uh, their source can be traced back to the, to the stressful situations that we are facing. See, once stress stays for a longer time in the, in the mind, then all these things can manifest. But one thing we have to understand is that stress is a phenomenon that happens in the mind first. So we experience something which causes stress, it's something in the mind. It's our mind which makes us believe that we are unable to deal with that situation. Having understood that, next question we want to answer is, whose mind are we talking about? So obviously if I am stressed out, it's my mind that we're talking about. And then, of course, we need to understand what happens to things that I call mine. Here I'm saying it's my mind. So if I'm talking about my car, for example, I take care of it. You know, I go for regular servicing, cleaning, and, and all that stuff that's needed to make, maintain the car. Same thing with the house. If it's my house, I have to make sure it's clean, it's tidy, and has all kinds of lighting, air, and everything. My, my duty, my responsibility. Alright. 
it's my clothes, I get them cleaned out. Same thing, if it's my mind, I should be able to take responsibility for keeping it clean and functional. But what is happening is that we are letting other people take control of our mind. As we just take, took, took an example, you know, we gave control to our boss to take control of the mind and that's why we feel stressed out. We give our spouse the control, the kids the control. We let the whole world basically take charge of, of our mind and then we feel stressed out. Even in the software industry, there is a very commonly used term called outsourcing. <laughs> in a sense, we are outsourcing the control of our mind to other people, basically. So the basic question is, how do we take charge? How do we not let other people be in the driver's seat? I want to be, if, if it's my mind, I want to be in the driver's seat and I want to know how to handle my mind, how to deal with my mind and how to not let the mind feel stressed out. Very simple in that sense. Logically, it's very simple, right? But to understand how the mind functions, you know, we have to first recognize that every experience that we have in life, it actually creates a memory in the mind in our memory bank, so to say. So whatever experience, whether we eat something, whether we hear something, whether we smell something, whether we have a conversation, whether we are traveling, no matter what, what we are doing, it's going to create an impression in the mind. But then we also have this habit of putting a label to that experience, to that memory, so if you eat something, we always would like to put a label, I like it, I dislike it. If I hear something, I do the same thing. It's pleasurable, it's not pleasurable. Um, a little more stronger reaction, I love it, I hate it. <laughs> and then we also add another label, either want, I want to have a repeat experience of this or I don't want to have anything to do with it again. Okay. So broadly, you can think of these three categories of memory storing that we do. One is pure memory. If I ate a, is, ate a piece of food, I'll have a pure memory of this was the item that I ate. Let's say I ate some uh, cake. So I have a memory that I ate a cake and I, you know, uh, I had a pleasure, pleasurable experience or not, you know. So all those things are stored in the memory. Memory itself, the pure memory is called Smriti in Sanskrit, Smriti. The, the fact that we liked it or not liked it or whether we had a love-hate relationship, etc., that's called samskara. And then a very subtle kind of a distinction whether we want a repeat experience of that, you can think of that as being called vasana. Some people don't distinguish between vasana and samskara. In my mind, there is a subtle difference. In any case, every experience, as I said, is going to create such impressions in the mind. And any time we have a new experience, we always like to go back in the memory and compare it with the previous experience and kind of use that to, to make a decision as to what we'd want to do now. 
So if you had a piece of cake a week ago and then and, and created a memory in our mind and we look at the same piece of cake again, once we look at the, the memory and it says I liked it, your natural incli inclination is to go back and have that again. Okay. Now, even a situation like that can cause stress because let's say you are you are in a in a physical uh, condition where you know you have either diabetes or your cholesterol levels are very high and you're not supposed to eat things like cake but then having seen the past experience of pleasurable experience then you really want to have that cake but then <laughs> you also recognize that you're not supposed to have that cake because it might cause further damage to your heart or, or your diabetic situation. So that's causing stress now. You want it, you cannot have it. It's the conflict in the mind in these situations which is causing stress. And that's the fundamental reason we want to understand that how we are stressed out about things. It doesn't matter what it is. We just have this habit of pointing fingers at others as if they are causing stress for us. But given the understanding we just talked about, it's a very simple logic. We must recognize that stress is purely a creation of my own mind. No one else, absolutely no one else can cause stress to my mind if I decide, if I choose not to ha not to let that happen so the basic question is how do we choose not to allow that to happen and that's where the whole practice of yoga comes in you know when we look at the very definition of yoga you know we look back at a text like the yoga sutras which was authored by patanjali long time ago you know he gives the definition of yoga simply in, in three Sanskrit words Chitta Vritti Nirodhaha which simply means that yoga by definition is to control or, or subdue whatever is happening in the mind okay now we just understood a little while ago that stress is something that happens in the mind it's causing a fluctuation it's causing some perturbance in the mind and it's it's making my, my mind to go into a long chatter as to what's going on. And yoga by definition is learning how to stop that chatter, how to control the mind, how to subdue all the, all the, the chatter that's going on so, so we can become more peaceful. Once we are peaceful, once we have a little stability, once we have a little quiet in the mind, then we have much less chance of getting stressed out because now we can think clearly and react appropriately or response. You know, we, are, we don't want to react. We want to respond appropriately to every situation. Okay? And that will happen without any stress because now we have very clarity of thought, clarity of, of our mind, and we can now respond with a very perfectly clear mind. So that's where the practice of yoga has been, has been, you know, given to us. And as you all know, these days yoga has become extremely popular. 
and a lot of people are actually now practicing yoga and and they're finding all the benefits but in terms of the practice of yoga patanjali in the yoga sutras has given us what's what he calls the ashtanga yoga or the eight limbs of yoga and very very briefly and quickly these eight limbs are yamas niyamas asana pranayama pratyahara dharana dhyana samadhi not going to go into depth of all these but at a very basic level there are three aspects of these eight limbs of yoga which you can think of them as practical aspects and these three aspects are the practice of asana which is physical uh, stretching you can call it physical postures you can call them that's asana practice pranayama is all the breathing techniques all the practices that involve how to modify the breath in multiple ways they become pranayama practices and then of course the most important of all these practices is called meditation now in the in the yoga sutra text but patanjali says that look meditation is your most important practice for helping us calm the mind to helping us control the mind and bring it to a state of tranquility and peace so that we can now function from a a very peaceful state of the mind so i would like to emphasize the fact that when you practice yoga give the highest priority the highest importance to the, me- the to the practice of meditation number two priority should be to the practice of pranayama which is all the breathing techniques because what patanjali says in the yoga sutras is that pranayama will actually help you be- help you be- get ready for meditation so that's very important to recognize the importance and the significance of of these practices that are a, the cornerstone of yoga practices okay so asana pranayama and meditation what meditation does for us is to subdue these the the influence that these subliminal impressions cause on our mind subdue them it makes them less and less effective like i said it's all these impressions that come up in the mind and cause all kinds of perturbations and then give us stress and all that but once you learn how to subdue their influence then you can work or you can function from a much more cleaner spot in the mind okay so that's why i would like to strongly recommend that you practice asana pranayama and meditation with special emphasis on meditation and then develop that practice practice on a regular basis and you will start feeling the benefits in due course of time and obviously one of the major benefits you will find is that your mind your your mind is calm enough now that you don't the situations that were in the past stressful to you they will not be stressful anymore i'd like to conclude by once again thanking you for your attention thank you for being a part of this program and if you have any questions please uh, direct them to me through uh, kishore ji uh, or whoever is the organizer of this program uh, you welcome to join my yoga classes that i teach in the area thank you and have a wonderful day